In the summer of 1862, prospectors from Colorado discovered gold on what they would name Grasshopper Creek. And eventually, Bannock, Montana was settled. The placer mines out west were now played out and prospectors were leaving California and Colorado, headed for Montana territory. Eleanor Dumont had found her way to the new camp and opened yet another gambling parlor. The baby fuzz on her upper lip had developed into a growth of unusual proportions for a woman. A disgruntled miner who'd lost his temper and a bundle at her table, then gave her the name Madame Moustache. The thin, pretty girl of San Francisco of 1849 was now a more heavy character who sat in the chair rather than standing at the blackjack table. Queens of the Mines features the authentic stories of gold rush women who blossomed from the camouflaged, twisted roots of California. In this chapter, we continue the story of Eleanor Dumont, the Queen of Exhilaration. From America's Largest Migration, The Gold Rush. The preceding program features stories that contain adult content which may be disturbing to some listeners or some secondhand listeners. So, listener discretion is advised. Chapter 10, Part 2 In Bannock, Montana, on a dusty alley on a dark night, Eleanor was walking home alone after a long night of dealing 21. Out of the shadows, two large men lurched at the woman and trapped her against a wall made up of wooden planks. In a scruffy voice, one of the men put his face against hers. He reeked of whiskey. Give me all your earnings or else. Eleanor, as calm as could be, made eyes with the drunk man and his sleazy friend. Oh, boys, she whispered as she enticingly started to raise her skirt. I cannot give you my purse. Although, you may partake in something else if you please. Riveted, the criminals gawked as Eleanor's undergarments were gradually exposed. Then, with one hand, from beneath her skirt, Eleanor Dumont pulled out her derringer and fired it point blank in the drunken man's chest, and he dropped where he stood. His friend quickly disappeared back into the shadows from where he came, and the man on the ground never moved again. It was time for Madame Moustache to move on. Dumont found her way to the prosperous yet rowdy town of Fort 
Benton, there in Montana, where new buildings lined the levee. The front street was packed with brothels, saloons, dance halls, and gambling houses. Between the cross streets of 15th and 16th, in an area known as the bloodiest block in the West, Madame Moustache set up a table in a gambling house the locals called the Jungle. The steamboat Walter B. Dance had been heard to be a smallpox carrier, and it was heading up the Missouri River one night while Dumont was dealing cards. She spotted the steamboat and stormed out to the river, mud on her feet. The captain stood on the deck, and while looking to the shoreline, he saw Dumont storming to the river's edge with two pistols. She was screaming. He, obviously, was not welcome there. By threatening the captain of the boat, Madame Moustache very well may have saved the flourishing town's community from suffering many deaths. Not all boats were turned away. The Missouri River Sternwheeler Steamboat Officer Louis Roche docked at the waterfront town that same week. He stepped ashore. He wasn't a gambler. He worked too hard for the money he made. Although he had saved up a couple hundred dollars and decided to shoot the works at Madame Moustache's table to satisfy his curiosity. Maybe he would be lucky and win enough to buy an interest in his own steamboat. Louis entered the weather-beaten two-story frame gambling hall. The bar and gaming tables were housed in one big foggy downstairs room. Slapping cards and clinking dice greeting his ears while smoke, whiskey, and sweat stung his nose. The interior was in worse wear than the outside, with a filthy floor and dilapidated bar running along the wall. The spittoons on the floor seemed useless, for the customers were remarkably bad marksmen. The sound of clinking glass and shuffling cards suddenly died down. He glanced quickly towards the door to see a woman entering the room in a black silk dress worn high around her neck. If I had not seen the unbelievable black brush on the woman's upper lip, I would have not known that this was the famous Madame Moustache. The madam sat herself in the center of the room and began shuffling the cards. The rings on her fingers glittering in the lamplight. Roche approached her and emptied his poke on the table. Ma'am, there's more than $200 there. Let's get going now. I don't want to quit until you got all my money or until I have a considerable amount of yours. Oui, it shall be bien un. The heavy, sweet scent of Miss Dumont's tobacco was making Roche feel lightheaded. It would be painful to exhume the memories of the hour that followed, when it was all over and my bills and gold and silver were stacked neatly in front of the madam. I got up quickly 
returned my empty leather purse to my pocket and started to leave. Dumont waved her hands excitedly. No, no, no. The steamboat man must not go before he has had his drink on the house. And the barkeeper slammed a glass of warm milk down on the dirty table. Are you enjoying the podcast? Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. It is so important. If you would like to contribute and get rewarded for it, use Venmo to at Queens of the Mines or check out the donate button at queensofthemines.com. The season is almost over. There are only two chapters left. Then there are big things ahead. Stay tuned for season two of Queens of the Mines. Coming soon. Madame Moustache followed the rush to the Black Hills, Deadwood, South Dakota. At the edge of town, she was practicing her aim with her new frontier woman friend, Martha Canary. Martha was coaching Eleanor in her trade following an afternoon of lessons at 21. Dumont attempted to teach the cowgirl the finer points of playing. Martha, better known as Calamity Jane, never developed the talent for cards that Madame Moustache had. But Madame Moustache was a pretty good shot. She soon made her way to the richest silver mine area discovered in the United States, a thriving silver boom town founded in 1877, once called Goose Flats. When Dumont arrived in the town, they called it Tombstone, Arizona. In Tombstone, Dumont saw that more income was to be made from prostitution than from playing cards. The town's brothel, known as Blonde Marie's, was booming, and Eleanor decided to open a rival house just down the street. She hired a variety of girls who worked day and night just down the way from the birdcage, the largest theater in Tombstone. No self-respecting woman would even walk on the same side of the street as the birdcage theater. But men would start their night there, where scantily dressed women would dance and entertain in cage-like structures hung from the ceilings. The men would then finish the night at Blonde Marie's or Dumont's. Dumont worked up a bitter rivalry with Blonde Marie, the rival working girls, and the pure ladies in town, whom looked down upon Dumont and her painted ladies. Eleanor was unfazed, and in fact, she enjoyed ruffling their petticoats. On Sundays, Dumont had her ladies put on their best dresses and loaded them into an open wagon. She would tell them, A ripe beauty needs to be a step ahead of all men and their smoking six-shooters before she's not so ripe. A sugar cube-sized emerald flashed on the hand holding her cigar as Madame Moustache drove up and down the streets of Tombstone, giving the men a good look at her inventory. They would all be sure to wave at the finer ladies in town. 
as they just stared at the stage in disgust. While in Tombstone, Eleanor Dumont made friends with Big Nose Kate and her longtime partner, the sheriff of Tombstone, Wyatt Earp, and his brother, and Doc Holliday. Wyatt and Holliday were then famous for their role in the gunfight at the OK Corral. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Columbia Mercantile 1855. Columbia Mercantile 1855 is creating Eureka moments for every shopper. At first glance, it appears you're in a living museum until you look closer. There, in the clever Gold Rush era aesthetic, you will find a treasure trove of gold standard products for your modern life. Now more than ever, locals are discovering the amazing, reimagined, real working Gold Rush era general store. And Teresa, the owner, has not changed or increased prices since COVID began. To better serve the community, the Mercantile has tripled the amount of food and beverage ordering. Teresa carries a mix of quality international products and local products, replicating the diverse provisions of the 19th century, when Columbia was California's second largest city, just after San Francisco. It is common to hear, wow, I didn't expect to find that here in Columbia. You can support local producers while shopping at the Mercantile 1855. And there are gluten-free, vegan, and dairy-free options, and EBT is accepted. The Columbia Mercantile 1855 is located in Columbia State Historic Park at 11245 Jackson Street in the Old French Quarter. It is a great place to keep our local economy moving. At a time like this, it is so important to shop local, and the Columbia Mercantile 1855 is friendly, welcoming, and fairly priced. Open daily from 9 to 6. Okay, back to the story. Time went on, and Dumont once again ended up in San Francisco opening an opulent gambling palace with a marble floor ballroom, imported French plate glass mirrors and sliding glass doors. The rich decor was accented with mahogany details and fluffy pink pillows. She would hire only French girls and she dressed them in satin Parisian gowns and braided tiny white flowers into their hair. One evening, while living in the city, Dumont rented a private theater box to see the show of Lotta Crabtree, Vaudeville's gift to the West. Lotta portrayed six different characters in her first act during her set of The Little Detective. Dumont was thoroughly impressed. Lotta followed the act with her rendition of her mentor, Lola Montez's signature spider dance. Eleanor gasped and yelped as Lotta stomped each eight-legged creature away, a piece of clothing 
tearing off with each defeated spider. Dumont went home that evening after the show and gushed over the spectacular Lotta Crabtree to her working girls. Dumont was fascinated by Lotta, like many women of the time. So inspired by the young star, Dumont had all of her working girls dance down Commercial Street the following evening, wearing only sunflowers and daffodils, dropping most of the flowers at the feet of stupefied policemen. That September, in a real estate circular, Dumont read that Miss Crabtree purchased a lot on the south side of Turk Street, east of Hyde, before leaving California. She paid $7,000. Dumont hired a carriage that instant, and by the end of the day, Eleanor purchased 96 acres of land in Contra Costa County. For when I grow old, she promised herself. East of the Sierra Nevada mountain range, at an elevation of 8,379 feet, is the short-lived gold mining town of Bodie, known as a sea of sin lashed by the tempests of lust and passion. Bill Bodie found gold, yellow, glittering, precious gold in 1859. The following winter, Bodie was caught outside his cabin by a snowstorm, and he froze to death. Coyotes stripped his flesh before his partner found him in the spring. The first load of Bodie ore at the Bodie Mining Company weighed in at over 10,000 pounds. Robberies, stage holdups, and street fights made life exciting. Killings happened on a daily basis. It was said that a Bodie man never had two disputes with the same man because he had already killed him at the first quarrel. A young girl was praying the night before her family left to try their own hand at fate. The suggestive termination of the sweet three-year-old's prayer was, goodbye God, I'm going to Bodie in the morning. In May, 1878, Dumont decided to see what all the fuss was about. Boarding the nonstop stage from Carson City, arriving in the town of 8,000, where the main street was over a mile long. Her arrival was such an event, even the local newspaper acknowledged the coming of the famous gambler. The townspeople welcomed her with open arms. The paper reported, Madame Moustache, whose real name is Eleanor Dumont, has settled for the time in Bodie, following her old avocation of dealing 21, as force of circumstances seem to demand. Probably no woman on the coast is better known that winter, a man was cut to pieces in Bodie. The Gold Hill News quarried. Why can't a man get along in Bodie without fighting? Bodie's press answered 
whimsically. They blamed the high elevation. Really, we can't say. It must be the altitude. There is some irresistible power in Bodhi which impels us to cut and shoot each other. The clashing of revolvers up and down Main Street can be constantly heard, and a man cannot go to his dinner without getting a bullet in his hat or seat of his unmentionables cut away by the deadly knife of the desperado. Yet it is said, but only too true, that everybody must fight that comes to Bodhi. For over a year, in smoke-filled saloons with abundant liquor, Eleanor spent long nights stealing cards, rubbing shoulders with the prominent members of Bodhi, like Harvey Boone, a descendant of Daniel Boone. She shared afternoon walks through Bodhi's Chinatown, which ran at a right angle to the main street with her new friend, Lottie Jewell. Lottie had begun her time in Bodhi as a prostitute, eventually marrying a German man who had set up the Union Market butcher shop. Lottie's past working in the red light district caused many people to shun her, but not the Madame Moustache. They strolled unbothered among the several hundred Chinese residents, opium dens and their temple. Dumont made a quiet living in Bodhi, but she was never able to replace the fortune taken from her by Jack McKnight. At the Magnolia Saloon on the corner of Union and Main Streets, Dumont's luck changed. She lost everything she had in a game that evening. The honest woman had to borrow $300 from a new friend to stake her in a card game. It lasted only a few hours, and the madam could not pay them back. After all her years of generosity, there was no one willing to lend Eleanor a stake. There at the Magnolia, where her table had been for the past year, she rose and said a quiet goodnight to the men and headed to the door. Eleanor went to her room at the Bonton Lodging House, where she scribbled a short note that read, She was tired of life. Dumont then took a bottle off of the table and left the hotel. She walked down the street and out of the town, walking into the desert. There, broke and all alone, amongst the sagebrush and the lonely howls of the coyote, Madame Moustache ended her life. Eleanor Dumont died October 7th, 1880. A sheep herder found her body the next morning, lying on the ground with a rock for a pillow under her head. The hastily scribbled note still clutched in her hand and the now empty bottle by her side. Her autopsy showed that her last drink had been of red wine, heavily laced with morphine. It was a most uncharacteristic drink for the famous champagne-loving Madame Moustache. The Bodhi community had noticed that she had been spiraling emotionally downward for months, and no one was there for her on that final evening when she desperately needed someone. Someone to help her, as she had helped so many others. 
The Bodhi Standard News from October 9, 1880 read, Last Monday, the dead body of a woman was found about two miles south of Bodhi on the road leading to Bridgeport. The body was identified as that of Madame Dumont, known as Madame Moustache, in almost every mining camp from Utah and Idaho to California. She was a French woman, very quiet and inoffensive, with a very strong propensity for gambling. Her favorite game was 21, which she has dealt for many years. With her dead body was discovered an empty poison vial, which told the tale of suicide. For 21 years, she has been a familiar character to the shifting population of the mining camps. Word of her death spread like wildfire throughout the towns of the West. The citizens of Bodhi passed the hat around to collect money to send her off properly, and men traveled hundreds of miles to attend her funeral. The gamblers of the palace buried her with all honors. Men from all over the West joined the procession and retired to the saloons to raise a glass in her honor. It is said that of the hundreds of funerals held in the mining camp, Madame Moustache's was the largest. So many carriages were needed for the funeral procession that many carriages were brought from Carson City, a distance of 120 miles, especially to be used for the funeral. Eleanor Dumont was laid to rest in the Bodie Cemetery where she resides to this day, among gunmen, illegitimate children, prostitutes, split rail fences, and beautiful ironwork. The lonely fences, like the frames of vacant beds, punctuate the sagebrush-covered hills and underscore the vast, silent isolation of the dead who've been left behind. The grave marker has long since disappeared. No one is really quite sure of exactly where it rests. In 1932, a young boy, only two and a half, accidentally started a fire while playing with matches, proceeding to burn down 95% of Bodhi. Soon after, only six people were left living in the town. One of the men still living in the town shot and killed his wife. Three of the remaining men then proceeded to kill the murderer those three men would continually be visited by the ghost of the murderer until they all died due to strange illness. If you visit the state park mining town of Bodie, do not take a thing. If you do, legend says that you will be cursed with bad luck until the item is returned. Many people have tried taking things from the town and they have all returned the items due to the bad luck they endured. Catherine Jones, a park interpreter says, pretty much every time a ranger goes to the post office to pick up mail, there is a cursed artifact returned in an envelope. 
The team has now received so many of these letters over the years that they're now collected on display in the Bodhi Museum. One of the ominous letters received 18 years ago reads, Fair warning for anyone that thinks this is just folklore. My life has never seen such turmoil. Please take my warning and do not remove even a speck of dust. As you walk Bodhi's streets and peer in the windows of its saloons, listen for the echoes of the shouts of the boisterous crowds who once jostled around the table of Madame Moustache. And listen for the spirits' voices of the residents who faced untimely deaths. Some who refused to leave their homes. Some spirits of children taken too soon from this world. While all of the ghosts may have their own unique stories, some are kind, others vengeful, they all call Bodhi home. In the late evening, walk across the road to the Bodhi Cemetery. Bring a bottle of champagne with you and a couple of glasses. And as the stars shine bright above the desert, from somewhere amidst the headstones, you just may hear her whisper. You will play, Monsieur? Lift your champagne glass in a toast, a salute to a full life, a life well lived. Oui, madame, I will play. You know, me and Slim have. I am Andrea Anderson. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let's meet again next time on Queens of the Mines. Queens of the Mines was written, produced, and narrated by me, Andrea Anderson. The theme song in San Francisco Bay is by DBUK. And you can find the links to their music and merchandise, as well as all of our links to our social media, research, and such at queensofthemines.com. 